the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Good morning, friends. Welcome to Bethany Covenant Church. My name is Pastor Allie. I'm the youth pastor here. And we are in the second week of Lent. Lent is this six-week season in our lives as Jesus followers that we are reminded just how badly we need a Savior. It's an intentional time of reflection and lament on the fact that all is not right in our world. There is brokenness around us and in us, and we know all too well that brokenness is not hard to find. And we cannot fix that brokenness by ourselves. But since the very beginning of our Bible, since the Garden of Eden, God set a plan in motion for restoring our brokenness to wholeness. Lent leads us up to Good Friday and to Easter, to cross and to resurrection, to the empty tomb. What we could not fix, our broken relationships with our being, with each other, and with God, Jesus repaired through his broken body, his blood, and then his defeat over the powers of death. And so during this season of Lent, we are going to focus together on that journey of our lives, each different aspect of it, from brokenness to wholeness. That's why on the platform here, you see this chapel. It's broken down and neglected. It needs repair, all things that are often true of our spiritual lives. But each week, a piece of the chapel is also going to be restored because this work of restoration is the work that God longs to do lovingly within each of us if only we would invite him in. Before we begin, let's pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts bring glory and honor to you. Speak, Lord, we are your servants and we are listening. Amen. Thank you, Julie and Christina, for reading our Matthew 23 passage this morning about the Pharisees. So much to say about the Pharisees. I actually encourage you to go on the services page of our church website and listen to the two-sermon deep dive that Pastor Chris and I did in July. It was on all the religious leaders of the day, including the Pharisees, uh, and it's super interesting, super helpful context for when we read our New Testaments. But I'll give you a quick little flyover for our purposes today. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of Jesus' day and responsible for setting an example of what it means to follow God. And the Pharisees' big thing was obedience to God's laws, the laws that we find in our Old Testament today. They spent all of their time and energy studying and memorizing these commands and then organizing all of society's rules to make sure that no command was broken. Not in itself a bad goal, but Jesus calls out the Pharisees repeatedly for missing the point. They had invested so much into micromanaging their outward appearance of obedience that inside they had completely neglected love of God and love of neighbor the very love that was supposed to be the reason for their obedience. 
And they had deceived themselves into believing they were doing what was good and as leaders encouraged the people of God to do the same. Yeesh. So here Jesus is speaking to his disciples, instructing them to live differently than the Pharisees. He calls out how damaging it can be to compartmentalize our outer life from our inner life. He wants his followers to live as whole people, paying close attention to both the outside and the inside. Now, this is challenging because our outer lives are, that's what's familiar to us, right? They're tangible. It seems like something we can control. And we're quite comfortable very carefully creating the lives that other people see, the roles we have in life, the grades we have, the interests, hobbies, knowledge, possessions, relationships, social media. Our inner lives, though, definitely a different story because it takes tons of courage and vulnerability to tend to the emotions, experiences, tendencies, hurts, ways of relating to each other and to God, and so much more inside of us. So we often neglect tending to the inner life, believing we can since others supposedly don't see it. But our inner lives are like an iceberg. 10% is above the surface of the water for people to see, 90% below the surface. And as the Titanic learned the hard way, what's below the surface can have a massive impact. If ignored, the inner life can shipwreck our wholeness, our relationships with God and others. The inner life can be like this door, on the outside, very appealing, a gateway inviting us to go see what's inside. However, if we neglect the inner life, that door can remain shut tight, an actual barrier to God's transforming presence to the rest of our lives. Like Jesus says to the Pharisees, if we only wash the outside of the cup, the inside of our cup will still be dirty, the water inside still undrinkable. The inner life is important because the outer life stems from it. As our scripture from Luke read this morning, the inner self overflows. Or as the message version puts it, your true being brims over into words and deeds. Another reason we often ignore and neglect what's inside of us is because we fear shame and judgment. What's inside of us is often the most tender and fresh shaped by very personal experiences, some near and dear, and others painful. And sometimes what's inside of us is in such bad shape that we're ashamed to let anyone see it, even God, certain they couldn't possibly love us if they did. In fact, sometimes things that we have heard about God, ideas we have of what he's like, experiences we've had with the people of God, can lead us to believe that God is the very last person who we would want to invite into our inner life. Oh, but friends, after Jesus calls out the Pharisees for their obsession with outer image, 
In verse 37, he also emotionally expresses his deep desire for a close relationship with his people. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. We hear this gentle, loving, motherly concern that Jesus has for his broken and lost people. He wants to be close to them, but they resist, pushing him away. He has truth to share with them and help to offer them, perhaps painful in the moment of change, but ultimately all for the purpose of healing them, of making them whole. So often we fear opening the door to God's presence, afraid of what he might ask of us. But our God is not a bull in a china shop charging in, breaking things, and making a mess. No, he waits patiently on the other side of the door to be invited in. And when we open the door to him, he comes in, sits beside us, puts his arm around our shoulders, and helps to put us back together. If there is anyone that we can trust with the parts inside of ourselves that we don't want anyone else to see, it's Jesus. One of my seminary professors is very fond of saying, we are but narrow-necked bottles at the very Niagara of grace. Did you know that 3,000 gallons of water pour over Niagara Falls every second? Every second! That's crazy. Imagine taking an empty bottle like this with its narrow little spout and holding it up to the Roaring Falls. Imagine how little you would catch in comparison to the enormous abundance of water pouring over the falls. Imagine. Our spiritual lives are the same in relation to the overwhelming reality of God's love, presence, and grace. We tend to our inner life so that we grow more open, able to receive more, be more aware of God's presence in a truly God-soaked world. Just take a moment, look, listen. We can think of tending to our inner lives like tilling soil. Tilling is the process of turning over the soil, breaking it up, loosening it up the crusted soil in order to make space for new growth, for planting. 
In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells the parable or story of the sower. A farmer went out to scatter seed. As he was scattering seed, some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where the soil was shallow. They sprouted immediately because the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it scorched the plants, and they dried up because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorny plants. The thorny plants grew and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and bore fruit 30, 60, and even 100 times over what had been planted. Jesus explains the meaning of the parable to his disciples. The path is the hard-packed soil where the seed cannot penetrate or get below the surface. The rocky soil is where the rocks prevent seed from growing deep roots. The thorny soil is where thorns compete with the seed's growth, sapping nutrients and space from the new plant. And the last soil is the good, healthy soil, where the seed sinks into the dirt. Its roots grow deeply. Its plant grows freely, bearing generous fruit. This parable, it's all about our receptivity and responsiveness to God. And now usually, we tend to identify, excuse me, identify ourselves as just one of the soils. But the reality is that all four soils exist within our inner life all at the same time. We all have hard-packed soil, the areas of our lives where we resist God's presence because we fear shame or change, where we are prideful and convinced our lives are good as they are, completely denying a problem could exist. We all have rocky soil where we have habits and tendencies, hurts and wounds, fears and insecurities that create obstacles to fully experiencing God's presence. We all have thorny soil where uh, pressures and distractions steal space from God's presence in our lives. Responsibilities and roles that we allow to dominate our identity. And we all have good soil, the areas in our lives that God is at work. We rest fully in his presence. His word takes root in our hearts and it shows up in our words, attitudes, and actions. Now, according to good farming practices, the sower in this parable is technically not very good at his job. Because the wise thing to do would be to scatter seed only on the good soil, where the sower would know it would grow. But the sower, God, scatters seed liberally, indiscriminately, extravagantly on all of the soils, believing that with proper tending, all soils, even the hard, rocky, and thorny, can be good and fruitful soil. Wow, how awesome is the love and patience of our God. So how do we identify and till the soil of our inner lives? Well, there are many spiritual disciplines, practices, or habits that are common to Jesus' followers throughout history. They help us foster awareness of our inner life and its connection to our outer life, and vice versa. 
They help deepen our personal relationship with God. Now, these are not boxes to check on some spiritual to-do list. We are not doing them seeking to arrive at some expert level in our spiritual lives, but rather to continually to develop a posture of openness to the presence of God. Now, we'd be here all day if I were to give you an exhaustive list of all of the spiritual practices, so I'm just going to give you a few that I have found fruitful in my life. And if none of the ones I share today, after you give them a shot, resonate with you, I invite you to come chat with me or any of our pastors. We would love to resource you with more of the spiritual practices that exist. But first, the Enneagram is a tool for the Christian spiritual life. Now, it's gained popularity in pop culture in recent years. You may have heard people talk about their Enneagram number or type. However, it's actually anything but new or trendy. It was created long ago by the faithful communities and monasteries and convents. It's actually something that all covenant pastors are required to begin and work through with a mentor before ordination. In a nutshell, the Enneagram is an inventory or assessment that helps us understand our motivations and tendencies behind how we behave. And then it helps us chart a path to growth. It helps us understand what we look like both when we are in a healthy place, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and a stressful place. It helps us observe what's happening in our outer life and then, as a result, diagnose what might be happening in our inner life. Now, unlike a personality test, one you might be familiar with, like the Myers-Briggs or Strength Finder, which has uh, labels or boxes that don't really change, the Enneagram is specifically about knowing ourselves better for the purpose of transformation, of not remaining as we are, of seeking wholeness and a clearer reflection of God's image in us amidst a broken world. So if the Enneagram is a tool you are interested in exploring to help you till the soil of your inner life, there is a resource on the handout. I invite you to check it out. It's also a button on the services page of our website. And if you'd like to learn even more, I encourage you to chat with Pastor Chris. He is our resident Enneagram expert or nerd, however you want to think about it. Another tool pretending to our inner life is the spiritual practice of examine. It's created by St. Ignatius of Loyola, a guy who is just all about the love and presence of God. The examine is a reflection exercise, usually done at the end of the day, where we ask ourselves a couple questions. First, we consider, over the past day, how have I experienced God's presence? Where did I feel love, life, light, or connection? If that question feels a little too abstract or out of reach for you, you can always start with, what am I grateful for from this past day? Thankfulness can often lead us to recognize God's presence because he is, after all, the one who works all things for good. The second question for reflection is, over the past day, Where did I feel disconnected or drained of love, life, and light? And what conversations, situations, and environments did I feel cut off from God's presence? The reality is we are never cut off from God's presence, 
But those moments that we feel we're swimming upstream can point us to the things that perhaps we need to confess and repent of, or that we need to pray for God's help, wisdom, or healing. The purpose of the exam is to strengthen the muscle of becoming more aware of God's presence in each and every moment of our lives. It can help us notice patterns in our lives, maybe areas where God is doing something new and growth is happening, or maybe areas where we need to pay some attention. I also find the exam to be a very joyful practice. It prompts me to a lot of celebration and gratitude as I begin to more often see what God is up to in and around me. And lastly, we actually can't tend to our inner lives alone. Just like we cannot be our own surgeons when we need physical surgery, we need a trusted, capable individual to point out where our inner lives are unhealthy. We're too close to the problem. We often can't see the issue. So we all need a friend who we allow and invite to fully know us, who we give permission to lovingly say hard things when they need to be said, whose friendship we know is unconditional, and who will point us to that thread of God's presence throughout our lives. A great place to begin friendships like this is in a connect group. People in these groups walk alongside each other through the ordinary of life, building trust for when the extraordinary and challenging moments come. And these groups provide an opportunity to truly know others and to be truly known. If you'd like to learn more about Connect Groups or join one today, I invite you to stop by the Welcome Center after worship. We'll make sure to get you connected to Terry Griswold. He's our champion for Connect Groups. Sometimes this friend is someone who has been in your life a long time already, with whom you have this high level of trust that goes both ways. Sometimes it's wise for this relationship to be a more formal one a spiritual director, a mentor, a Stephen minister, a therapist, a psychiatrist. Our inner lives are an intersection of our spiritual, emotional, physical, relational, and mental well-being. And to be truly whole people, we sometimes need someone with training and expertise to help us to till the soil, to remove the thorns and the rocks. Now, when you came in today, you should have received a handout, purple, I think. Uh, if you're joining us online, you can download this handout on the services page of our website. I invite you to spend some time reflecting this week. Where do you see each of the four soils in your inner life? And which of these spiritual practices might you begin to help you receive more of God's presence in your inner life? Friends, we are but narrow-necked bottles at the very Niagara of grace. God's presence is all around us all the time. And caring for our inner lives is how we open ourselves up to receive more and more of him. The gentle Jesus longs to be invited in to help restore what is broken inside of us to move us towards wholeness and the full life he wants for each of us.
when we tend to our inner life by tilling the soil, new growth is possible. When we tend to our inner life by cleaning the inside of the cup, clean, fresh water can be poured out to quench the deep thirst of the world for Jesus. And when we open the door to our inner life, there is space for God's transforming presence to touch and restore every part of our lives. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the overwhelming abundance that is your grace and love for us. We live in a world soaked with your presence. But Savior, we are, know there are things in our inner lives that resist, that get in the way of, and compete with our ability to truly experience the wholeness you want. Jesus, we declare that we want to trust you more. This week, we pray that you will gently call our attention to the areas of our inner life that need tending, even the ones we most want to keep to ourselves. Help us to make space for your loving and transformative presence in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.